February 7th, 2013. Episode 7, Economics and Trust. As always, welcome, and hopefully welcome back. Also, if this is the first time that you've ever heard me, and you like what you hear, make sure to go by the website at mad-yet.blogspot.com. There, you'll be able to find simple and easy links to our material on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and on iTunes. Now let's go see what I had to say in my new article. Economics and Trust. In this week's article, I want to focus on economics and trust, and why they are so important. Economics are a part of our life, from the time we wake up and brush our teeth with the toothbrush that we purchased, to the time we lay our heads down at the end of the day on the pillows that we've purchased. But have you ever asked yourself, what is economics? Or, how does it affect me? No, more than likely, you never have. Also, these are things your parents probably never asked either. This is because schools, increasingly, since the mid-1800s, almost purposefully neglect to teach these things to children in what many consider to be a conspiracy to dumb you down. So let's do a quick review. What is economics? The definition of economics is the social science that analyzes the production, distribution, and consumption of goods and services in any given area or segment of society. Economics are important to everyone, from the candy maker to the Wall Street stockbroker. There are fundamentals to economics. These fundamentals are known as supply and demand. This can be analyzed easily using what is known as fundamental analysis. With that being said, let's go over what supply is. Supply is defined as the amount a product a producer is willing and able to sell at a given price, with all other factors being held in constant. Basically, this means how much product is available to be sold without changes in a given marketplace. But, as we all know, markets change. Think of it in these terms, for example. When the copper sword became cheap and easy to make, the sales of spears probably declined. People aren't going to pay more money for an object that has less value. Now, let's go over what demand is. Demand is defined as the economic principle that describes a consumer's desire and willingness to pay a price for a specific good or service. Basically, this means how much product is desired to be sold, or more simply put, how bad do you want this item? Now let me be clear. The fundamentals haven't been working. Due to government intervention and clear, some would say blatant, manipulation of the precious metals markets, bond markets, combined with other scandals. Due to these factors, our economy has been undermined, some would say purposefully. We are being manipulated by the too-big-to-fail banks and other greedy corporations. These types of problems only lead to one conclusion, the collapse of a system that is fundamentally flawed in the first place. Ironic, considering these banks and corporations are now bigger than they ever were before, even after the economic crisis of 2008, all thanks to your tax dollars filling the pipeline full of easy money to siphon off. Let me illustrate my point by making sure we understand what manipulation means. Manipulation, or more accurately, market manipulation, is described as the deliberate attempt to interfere with a free and fair operation of the market and create artificial, false, or misleading appearances with respect to the price of market for a security, commodity, or currency. Basically, markets have their own natural forces, and anyone trying to alter those forces on purpose is going against those natural forces. 
This means someone is tinkering with the natural order of things within the free market economy. Now let me give you an example. If you want to build a table and you need 10 screws to finish your project, and you don't have any, you must either make or purchase this item. Let's assume that you don't have the ability to fabricate those 10 screws. You would have to go to the store and purchase those screws. In a manipulated scenario, you tell a friend you're going to the hardware store for the screws to finish your table, who mentions your need for screws to the owner of that hardware store. The owner of that hardware store then decides to empty the screws from the bins to a nominal level and inflate the prices by 200% to make a higher profit than normal, and happily sells them to you. As the consumer, you see the price, but you don't realize that the hardware store owner just manipulated you into paying more, because you didn't know what the price was before. Even if you did, he had the only screws in town, making him a monopoly on this item. Now understand, the hardware store owner had tons of screws, and he will simply put more screws back into the bins when you leave, but he did this merely to inflate the price and make more profit. Don't like this type of manipulation? This type of activity happens more often than you know. Is profit bad? Now, from a business perspective, this is profitable, and the main goal of a company is to produce a profit. So if there was a way to predict when a customer's demand was going to increase on any and all items they produce, it would be in their best interest to gather that information quickly and aggressively. It is the simple nature of business. And if you have a smartphone, you should realize this is being done to you right now. Profit is derived from greed, and greed is good, according to Gordon Gecko. This is a character created by Oliver Stone and portrayed by Michael Douglas. This character and the movie he was presented in was a wake-up call for many Americans. Mr. Douglas's Oscar for his portrayal of this character goes to prove that point. I mention this Hollywood example because I think this is an example that will resonate with you. Now take this character's greed is good speech to a crowd in this movie and chew on it. Let it simmer in your skull for a while. This seemingly innocent glorification of a greedy and unscrupulous type of investor was what many in America strive to be for many years, and some still strive to be. See a problem yet? If not, you may if you ever have to deal with a foreclosure, the loss of an IRA, 401k, or some other form of pension that you spent your entire life building only to lose to one of these vipers. How does this affect you? Simple. Every day billions of dollars are printed. Every year, trillions. This unilateral overprinting of dollars out of thin air is devaluing its intrinsic value without any external help like war or civil unrest. Never mind that the currency is backed by absolutely nothing in the first place anymore. Our money used to have a set value because it was linked or backed to commodities like gold and silver in the past, but no more. The U.S. dollar used to have a set value because the world trusted that America would keep their word and honor the Bretton Woods system of finance that the world's leading nations agreed on in July of 1944. The world had faith that the United States would never break its word. In hindsight, their trust was misplaced, but it made total sense to many in America and abroad since the United States economy was founded on the silver standard which used the silver Spanish mill dollar in 1785 during the founding of this nation. To many, this linking of a currency to a hard asset was considered a healthy thing to do. 
Due to this, we codified the Coinage Act of 1792, and we linked our economy to a commodity, silver. For the first time, we had our own money, and that money had value. Today's money doesn't represent value in any way, due to the massive overprinting of fiat dollars by the Federal Reserve's actions. In fact, in today's society, a banker can simply click a few zeros into a computer screen and have more wealth in a matter of seconds than your entire family could produce in a lifetime. And this worries many in financial circles. And realize, the use of the term worry is a massive understatement. Several things had changed since the Coinage Act of 1792. Wars, civil unrest, and the Industrial Revolution, and several other factors caused the national economy to change over the years. This is natural, but due to these changes and several other reasons, we allowed the Federal Reserve to take over the printing of our money. This is widely considered a pivotal change for the worse in national economic sovereignty. The history of the Federal Reserve is stricken with many claims of fraud, conspiracy, and secrecy. G. Edward Griffin has what I and several others would undoubtedly say is the premier accounting of how the Federal Reserve was established in his book, The Creature from Jekyll Island. He states that the Federal Reserve's very establishment was created in secret, on an island, behind closed doors, and that the men involved in this meeting denied for years that such a meeting to establish this new Federal Reserve system ever existed, until after it was implemented upon its intended victims, you, the American citizens. Now, I won't go into who was there, why they are important, or any of that in-depth analysis, but I highly suggest that you watch and listen to the videos in my article. These videos will clearly explain that there was a plan and outright conspiracy to loot the wealth of the American people. They will also point out that such a system doesn't benefit you in the long run. It also clarifies that the Federal Reserve System is a criminal and fatally flawed concept that is a perpetual debt machine. Unfortunately, we and many other countries in today's world subscribe to this fractional reserve banking system of economics and it's starting to show cracks in its foundations. What is fractional reserve banking? This is the most important question you can ask anyone. Try asking your local banker. Enjoy the look on their face when you ask. I always do. What if I told you that your bank doesn't have your money? That's right. Imagine if you're a hard worker, a staunch saver, and a dollar-stacking fiend, and you have all of your money in a safe in a bank, somewhere. What if I told you that that money wasn't really there? Would you be angry? You should be. Let me explain why this is exactly what is happening. The reason your bank doesn't have your money is because it's loaned out. See, banks have to loan money to make money. They are allowed to lend up to 90% or more money than they have on the books in many cases. This changes due to economic climate, but the premise is the same. They lend what they don't have. The more they loan, the more they make in interest. But they never really have that money to begin with. Pretty sweet deal, huh? They are legally allowed to lend more than they have. Sound like fraud? It is. Throughout the history of the fractional reserve system, banks have lent money to make money. It's how the system was designed to work. The one thing that ruins the fun for them is when you take your money out of the bank. When you do it, it's considered an inconvenience. But when several people, or a nation full of people, pull their money out at the same time, it's called a bank run. 
and this is a nightmare scenario for all bankers. Here are some examples of bank runs. 4th century BC, Dionysius, the elder of Syracuse, Greece. Due to his rampant wars and other conquests, he owed a massive amount of debt. Due to this, he declared that all coins be collected under penalty of death. He then restamped, cut, every singular coin into two coins and used them to pay off his loans. This led to no one wanting to loan him money anymore. Everyone lost faith in his money, including its citizenry, and thus ending financial prosperity in that area. Caused fraud. 1620s. Thirty Years' War. This was in Germany. During this period, German city-states printed imitation coins of rival city-states' currency and infused it into the opposing city-states' economy. This caused uproars and riots of its military and citizens. The military personnel simply refused to serve unless given verifiable coinage. Cause? Fraud. 1772. The Crisis of 1772. Scotland. In 1769, John Law founded the Iyer Bank in Scotland. This bank was built on inflationist schemes that caused the collapse of the bank in 1772, losing a significant amount of money. The other banks of Scotland quickly returned the Iyer Bank notes to its originator and left the 241 shareholders of the Iyer Bank to face the full brunt of the loss, of which the shareholders paid off all creditors in full. Talk about a bad business deal. This event triggered the Boston Tea Party, which clearly explains the power that economics has on people, nations, and societies. Cause? Fraud. 1873. The Panic of 1873. Later known as the Long Depression. United States and Europe. This event was caused by the fall in demand of silver internationally due to Germany deciding to abandon the silver standard. This led to inflation, speculation, and rampant trade deficits, caused by unlinking a commodity from a nation's currency. Sound like something we see in today's economy? 1914. Schwenk Bank Run. New York, New York. State bank regulators seized three banks owned by Lodicius W. Schwenk for sketchy and disingenuous accounting practices. This caused crowds of angry citizens who had money in Mr. Schwenk's banks to try to get their money out before the bank failed. Cause? Fraud. 1930s. Great Depression. United States and worldwide. During this period, 9,000-plus banks failed due to stock market failure on October 29, 1929. This put the world's economy into a tailspin and took years to recover. Personal income, tax revenue, profits, and prices dropped, and international trade dropped by as much as 50% during this period. Cause, greed and market manipulation, and blatant money contraction by the Federal Reserve. 1946, Potter's Panic, Bedford Falls, New York. A liquidity crisis at Bailey Building and Loan, which turned the town into a shell of its former self. Today, the town's economy only survives due to citizens being employed by the local penitentiary, which imprisons nonviolent drug offenders. Cause? Fraud. 1980s. Savings and Loan Crisis. United States. This was the failure of one quarter of all of the savings and loan associations in the United States that cost the taxpayers nearly $90 billion. Some estimates put that figure into the low range of actual liability to the U.S. taxpayers. 
cause, a mix of manipulation, greed, and criminal accounting practices. I could keep going on, even using Argentina, Germany, or a boatload of other examples to describe what happens during hyperinflation as well, but I think I have explained my point already. However, we need to move on and explain how everything changed, and it happened only recently considering the timeline I used above. Nixon changed everything. On August 15, 1971, the entire game of economics shifted again, but not in a good way. As the opening states, this article is about economics and trust. Trust is exactly what everyone lost in the United States on this day in history. On this date, President Richard Nixon terminated the convertibility of the U.S. dollar to gold, ending the Bretton Woods Agreement. This singular action put the world's economic markets into septic shock almost immediately. How did the Bretton Woods Agreement work? Simply put, the other nations of the world agreed to peg their currencies to the U.S. dollar, and we agreed to convert one ounce of gold for every $35 in a collective effort to stabilize the world's economies after years of war and other negative factors the world faced during this time period in the past. The Vietnam War alone cost the U.S. $500 billion or more, but cost us much more in human terms. But that is a tale for another article. With the stroke of a pen and a statement on television, we deprived the world of nearly $60 billion in a gold that was owed to them. We effectively defaulted on our debt by refusing to deliver this commodity as agreed upon. He then, some claim inadvertently, linked the U.S. dollar to oil, i.e. the petrodollar, from OPEC nations and agreed not to print too many U.S. dollars during this agreement, which, in recent times, we see Obama letting the Federal Reserve print the U.S. dollar in unprecedented amounts, rubbing other countries' noses, OPEC nations, and the fact that we have a printing press and they don't. This doesn't sit well with many countries, and it shouldn't. Ask yourself, how would you feel if someone swindled you? Nixon's actions on this day polarized the economies of the world and immediately placed the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency of many nations. This means other nations were forced to use the U.S. dollar as a primary tool of trade and conduct business internally and internationally in many cases. This also made economies such as those using the British pound sterling into free-floating status. This caused massive problems throughout the world's financial markets. It was a game-changer in every sense of the word. Trust was gone. We broke our promise. Principles should have taken precedence in this case, but they were forsaken for reasons we still don't fully understand. Mr. Nixon's decision forever cemented him as Tricky Dick. This nickname was derived from the JFK campaign posters asking, would you buy a used car from this man, as displayed in my article, but stuck with him due to his actions during this economic roller coaster. We as a nation are now seen as untrustworthy due to Mr. Nixon's actions. Our country is seen as a pariah, a parasite, and a leech to many in this world because of his actions. The world believes our moral fiber and our intrinsic values have been eroded and replaced by lies, schemes, and plots to overthrow the first nation they see with assets such as gold or oil. The world went from seeing us as the city on the hill to an imperialistic hegemony hell-bent on taking the riches of their land, and they are wise to think such a thing, 
because of the actions we show recently. Can you say Iraq? How about Libya? I could give you many more examples, but the common theme here is that these countries have oil, and if you think that is a coincidence, you are living in a fairy tale land, and you are incapable of seeing what is right in front of your face. Is this still a problem? When our nation's economy took a nosedive in 2008, our demise was almost guaranteed. Our national debt is so large currently that other countries know we can't pay them back. They also know our history of defaulting on debt and are well aware that we will do it again if we feel we have no other option. Anyone left holding U.S. dollars when this happens will take the largest economic hit ever seen in the history of the world. Governments around the world are waking up to the fact that the U.S. is bankrupt. Due to this, agreements to conduct business with commodities such as gold, oil, and other items are growing in frequency and location. The countries relying on commodity-based trading show no signs of slowing or stopping this practice and will not use the U.S. dollar for reasons stated earlier. Nations like China, Russia, India, Iran, and many others understand economics. They know that accepting U.S. dollars leaves them susceptible to future liabilities due to our history of default, and they are unwilling to accept it again. No one with any common sense can blame them for not accepting our money. In fact, you should be horrified at these events and be chastising your senators and congressmen for spending more time suggesting legislation for stupid laws and pushing legislation like gun control instead of focusing on the economic health of our nation. What is going on in today's political climate is not only egregious, but tantamount to criminal. When you consider that your economic security has been usurped by banks who lobby politicians to get the sweetest deals on the planet and then just keep pushing for more because of greed. Understand, your economic security and your personal rights are not their focus. Neither are justice or honor. No, the only focus for politicians today is lining their bank accounts so they can win their next election. And this must be addressed openly. How do we change this? It goes without saying we need to mandate some serious civics and ethics courses throughout the United States. But this isn't the job of the government. No, this needs to be done by mothers, fathers, and family members all over this nation. Ethics, morals, and faith are jobs for family and churches, not government. You can't blame corporations, since they're not alive. But somehow, they have voting rights. No one but the owners of these corporations can be held accountable for their actions. In certain cultures, we see millions starving, but these companies in these areas produce useless electronics, shoes, or other textiles instead of food. Does this make sense to you? At some point, you have to admit that something is wrong. These companies are focusing on profit, not value. I dislike government because I have studied and I see what atrocities they are capable of when left unchecked by apathetic and ignorant populations. I have learned of the injustices government has caused throughout history, but it is my opinion that government's job is to benevolently oversee and manage a society's resources to the benefit of its citizens when ran correctly. Governments like the ones I stated above are not managing their culture's wealth and resources in a way that is beneficial to its citizens. A malignful, greedy, and counterproductive government is no different than the corporations and greedy banks that have crippled our own economy today. If this is your first time realizing any of this, I am happy I could give you a new perspective to see it from. We need to wake up our friends and our family. 
We need to heal this scar called greed that has torn across our nation and rippled throughout our society. Live beneath your means and do what you can to share information that you feel is important so we can spotlight those who abuse power vested in them by honest and hard-working citizens. In closing, I want to leave you with a few words to think on. The world provides enough to satisfy every man's need, but not every man's greed. Mahatma Gandhi I tell you these words because in tense, conflicted, and oppressive times, this simple, humble, and honest man's views on how to handle the beast called government were simple. He simply stopped, sat down, and refused to play its games. Even his enemies claimed they trusted him. We could take a few lessons from this man's playbook, as his views and leadership could definitely be used today. And that concludes my article. If you like what you hear, make sure to drop by our Facebook and our Twitter page, give us a like, maybe a follow. Make sure to get this word out. Thanks for dropping by and keep checking in.